So this is the Sunday after Christmas when all pastors go on vacation. <laughs> and it's coast to coast, by the way. And uh, so guest speakers are hard to come by uh, this Sunday. So we get time and a half. So this is just awesome uh, uh, that Jim asked me to step in. So uh, it is good to be here. Um, let's open our Bibles to John chapter 11, John chapter 11. Father God, uh, thank you for an opportunity to, to be a part of preaching your word. Thank you for the worship time already this morning, Lord, this last Sunday of 2023. It's here we are and we're moving into another year that we would ask that Christ would be first and that we would grow, not only individually, but this church family would grow together. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in, what was it? I think 2001, I went with a buddy down to the Tacoma Dome to uh, watch the state basketball playoffs. The Stanwood High School was in the playoffs. Go Spartans. Go Tomahawks. Tomah what, are, what are you guys? What's Marysville? Eagles. Where did I get the Tomahawks? That's me. Okay. Oh, Eagles is Arlington. Ooh. Do you know what Stanwoodians or Woodites or whatever they are think about Arlington? Because we get whipped every time when we play Arlington. But we go down to the basketball tournament, and at about 11 o'clock in the early games, I remember Mount Vernon was playing. We were there all day, just enjoying uh, basketball. Um, first, first, I think it was the first day of the playoffs, Thursday, 11 in the morning. Everything started to shake in the Tacoma Dome. Now, what was... Did, Identified later was this was the famous Nisqually earthquake. Remember that? 6.8 on the Richter scale. And as, as, as the Tacoma, I mean, you could just feel the, the seats. And, and I looked around, I saw panic in people's eyes. And in my mind, I was thinking, you know when you, you're in a huge, packed theater and someone yells fire? Well, people don't die from the fire a lot of times. They die from the, the press. And I, I just thought, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then the guy down on the floor on the microphone, the voice of authority said, kind of at the tail end of the, the earthquake, he says, we've had an earthquake. Everyone sit down for further instructions. Man, everybody just, whew. And it just kind of brought a calm over people. And then in a, in a moment or two, he said, okay, at this time, we're going to ask you to slowly exit the building while we... we check for any damage, and then we will return to the tournament. I was so thankful for whoever that guy was, the person, the man of authority that brought calmness in the midst of panic. He brought confidence just by his words. Well, we're just a few hours away from 2024, and it will be, I predict, a year of shaking where we're going to need confidence. One of the 
issues, and, oh, every four years, I don't know about you, but it's like, oh, no, another dreaded presidential election. Here we go. Because how you get elected is, um, if you are in office and you want to get reelected, you say how bad things still are and how you're going to fix them. And if you're not in office, you say how bad things are, and it's even worse, everything is bad, and if you get elected, you're going to fix it. So it's going to be one of those years. And today I want to talk to you then about unshakable confidence from the unshakable Christ. It's not just the election cycle. We've got Ukraine, we've got Middle East, uh, we've got crime, we've got moral issues in our country. And do I need to go on? It's depressing. We all know what we're facing, right? I want to focus our attention today on the raising of Lazarus and specifically the events leading up to this miracle. This is the last great miracle of Jesus before his own, I was going to say the miracle of the resurrection, but also before that, the miracle of taking on the sins of the world And through faith in him, our sins are forgiven. But this is that great miracle. And in fact, the raising of Lazarus was the last nail, literally, in the coffin of Jesus. It's when that occurred that the Pharisees said, we got to get rid of him. We, 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 We cannot continue with Jesus on the scene. So the events leading up to the raising of Lazarus, and we're going to see Jesus's extraordinary poise because we're going to gain confidence from Jesus himself. We're going to look at his extraordinary poise, his extraordinary timing. Everything he did was right on time. And then finally, his extraordinary purpose. So let's jump into verse 1, talk about Jesus's extraordinary poise and then think about our own lives in relationship to him. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. It's interesting, by the way, the Old Testament name for Lazarus Lazarus is Eleazar. If you ever read in the Old Testament, you'll see that name, Eleazar. Lazarus is kind of the transliteration of Eleazar, which means God is our help. What a great name for a guy (laughs) You know, after he rises from the dead, after four days in the tomb, Jesus calls him forth, you know, to say, hey, my name? What's your name? Yeah, you meet someone on the street. There, there's Eleazar. There's Lazarus. What's your name? God is our help. Let me tell you how God was my help and raised me from the dead. So he's from Bethany. That's just over, uh, if, you, if you're, if you're uh, looking towards the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, you go over there, and it's just on the back side of the Mount of Olives. It's kind of a suburb. It's sort of the, what's a suburb of Smoky Point? Um, Sylvana. Okay, you know, big suburb of Savannah. It's kind of like that. Uh, the village of Mary and her sister Martha it was Mary who anointed the Lord with an ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, identifying which Mary it is. There's other Marys in the gospel. Um, John wants to explain who it is, which Mary whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Notice verse 4, but. So he, he gets the message, your buddy is ill. This guy you love so much, Lazarus, big part of Jesus' life is ill. But when Jesus 
heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. In other words, Lazarus is, I'm, I'm going to raise him from the dead. Doesn't mean final death. This is, this, he's talking about this, this four days, he'll be raised from the dead, and then later Lazarus will die. But he's saying, it's not gonna, this illness is not going to be the end of the story. And then he goes on to say, here's the reason why this miracle is going to happen, and that, that Lazarus' illness is not going to lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. What poise he has. Best friend going to die. He said, hey, you got it all under control. This is for the glory of God. This is going to be a good thing. You see, when, when we feel out of control, anybody feel out of control ever? Anybody? When we feel out of control, we need to trust that Jesus is completely poised and in complete control. If we look to ourselves, say, okay, i gotta get, I got to get together. i gotta, I got to feel in control. That's never going to happen. If you and I live demanding control, expecting control, and pursuing control of all things, we will live an anxiety-ridden life. We are going to be, we are going to be shaking all the time. Instead, we look to Jesus, his poise, his complete control. You know, regarding the crucifixion, Many, and I, I agree, is Jesus' weakest moment from a, from a horizontal, certainly not vertical, uh, spiritual level, but, but on the horizontal, he, in Philippians, he talks about humbling himself even to death on the cross. Someone wrote this, the Gospels present Jesus not just in control of himself, Jesus is in control of the events themselves. He's able to determine the outcome, in fact, Jesus is in control of the entire sweep of human history, even as he went through his death. You think about Jesus on the cross, he's in control of all things, past, present, future. Jesus said in John 10, no one takes my life from me. He's prophesying now his upcoming death. But I lay it down, and here it is, of my own accord. I got things under control. This is a poised Savior and God that we have. Many, many years ago, uh, when I came to my first church, little town of Wishram. Anybody been to Wishram on the Columbia River? 280 people population, little town, affectionately known as Washrag. It was Wishram. Uh, it's right on the Columbia River, and they had a, they had a painting, an old painting in that per church, and on first glance, it was just a typical painting of the cross, and, and it actually had uh, two uh, Roman soldiers on e either side of Jesus, and they're, he they're, they're heading towards the cross. As I glanced at it, I thought, okay, that's, that's cool. Then I looked closer. I'd never seen a painting like this. The Roman soldiers were actually holding Jesus back from the cross, He's leaning forward, and they're holding him back, of course, symbolizing Jesus says, hey, this is my destiny. So even as he's, he's bruised and beaten and bleeding, and he's going to be crucified, this shameful death, he is in complete control, a man of poise. Ephesians 1.11 says this, God works out all things according to the purpose of his will. 
God's got it all under control. And you have maybe heard of God's perfect will and his permissive will. Don't need to take a lot of time. But if not, just a, a thought on this. God's perfect will is revealed in the scripture. His permissive will is what he allows that he's not causing to happen. These, this is the sin, the results of sin, pain, suffering in our lives. But he allows it, he permits it for a good outcome. So his perfect will is good. His permissive will has a good outcome. Now, my wife and I, as many of you know, in my second career, I retired from being a full-time pastor, were counselors for hurting pastors. And one of the things that, that we understand we try to help pastors and anyone is that anxiety, that sense of feeling shaken, comes from having an expectation. And what happens, we feel is... is um, you know, terrible for our lives, and that the outcome is so terrible we will not be able to cope. But with Christ, we can, we can begin to have that confidence. It's a, it's, a, it's a telling ourselves the truth that Jesus is in this. He's poised. He's in control. He works out everything in conformity with his will. Therefore, the outcome, though it's going to be painful, it's going to bring about good. So aren't you glad that Jesus is in control of all things? What if he wasn't? Aren't you glad he, he is? What if he wasn't, though? You know, AT&T uh, had this series of commercials, and, and kind of the theme was, when it comes to wireless coverage, um, just okay is not okay. Remember those series of commercials? They were kind of funny. One of them had a guy, he's in a hospital bed there, and he's awaiting surgery, major surgery. He's got his wife and kids around him. Nurse is in the room, and he asks, the wife asks the nurse, uh, hey, have you worked with the, the surgeon quite a bit? Yeah. He said, is he really good? And she said, eh, he's okay. <laughs> right when she says that, out in the hallway, here comes that, that surgeon. He goes, hey, guess who just got reinstated? Yeah, that's okay. He comes in the room, and the, the doctor sees the guy nervous. Yeah, rightly so. You know, hey, you look a little nervous. The guy says, I am nervous. He said, doctor says, hey, don't worry. I'm nervous too, but you and I will work it out together. <laughs> Aren't you glad that God is not like that physician? God's never shocked. He's never wondering, Holy Spirit, what do we do? Jesus, second person of the Trinity, what do you think? They're all saying, we know where this is going. And we must guard Jesus' ultimate control in our churches and in our hearts. There are threats all over in our churches today. It seems like this is a time of novelty. Every new teaching, never been heard of before, it comes creeping into the church. And one of them is called open theism or free will theism. And in our progressive churches, this is, this is the hip doctrine, just so you know. Open theism or free will theism is, let me just define it. It's the view that God does not exercise meticulous control of the universe, but leaves events open to human choices. So he doesn't know all the future. The theory here, or the view is, that God is extremely intelligent, so he can do a really good job predicting the future, but he's not in control of the future. 
Does that sound terrifying to you? It does to me. But that's sweeping through our church. In fact, a theologian of the open theism doctrine, he wrote this. Open theism, its central thesis is that reality itself and consequently God's experience of reality are essentially open rather than closed. This means that God experiences the events of the world he has created, especially the events of human history, as they happen rather than all at once in some timeless, eternal perception. This also means that not even God knows the future in all its details. Fortunately, the Bible teaches something differently. Fortunately, the Bible has a big God. By the way, anytime we lower God and we lower his sovereignty and we lower his view of control and we elevate man, humans, we lower God in our understanding of sovereignty. What we do is we, we elevate anxiety and shakingness in our lives. That's what happens. You minimize God. We live in a more fearful existence because we have a little God. Let me just give you, I wrote down four comparisons between open theism. I think they're going to come up on the screen. Again, open theism, God doesn't know the, the future. He's really smart, can kind of predict, but he's kind of living this thing and, and, and controlling things on the fly. Open theism versus the Bible. So open theism states that God is continually learning new things. Can you imagine God on his throne saying, I never thought of that before. <laughs> the Bible teaches that God has never, ever learned anything for all eternity. You say, really? Here, here's a pretty cool scripture. Think about Jesus dying on the cross. The Bible says that the Lamb of God was slain when? In the mind of God. Do you know when the Lamb of God was slain? Before the foundation of the world, before he even created. He knew about Adam and Eve. He knew that they would sin. He knew the whole deal. When you, start, you know, before the foundation of the world is sort of metaphorically saying for all eternity. God has never, ever learned anything. Open theism also says God experiences novelty and surprise. You know, think about different Christmas movies. You got the classics, It's a Wonderful Life, and you've got um, White Christmas, and then you got Home Alone. This, this idea of open theism, God experiencing novelty. Remember the little kid left home for the Christmas holidays? Remember the, the classic thing he would do with his face? Anybody remember? The view of open theism is God is on throne. Oh, what do we do now? I've never seen that happen before. The Bible teaches God's never surprised, never shocked. Nothing, nothing phases him in that way. Third, open theism says that God's dependent on human actions. That he's, he's he, again, he's on the fly. I do this. He, oh, I, I didn't know that. I didn't know Chris was going to do that. I better do this. The Bible talks about the independence of God. That God is independent of human actions. Now, we might read, remember when Moses prayed, God says, I'm going to destroy all the people of Israel. If you know that passage in the Old Testament, Moses prays, God says, because you've interceded, I'm going to save your people. It, it, it's human speak for 
um, for, for, for God not changing his mind, he wasn't surprised. He knew that Moses would pray. He knew that he would save the people. But you're trying to communicate in human language the independence of God. Finally, number four, open theism says God is locked into the sequence of events. Just like us. I'm, you and I are in this point in time, whereas the Bible teaches that God sees all events of all time equally vividly. We are in this chronological time. God is above. For him, he, he sees like one day is like a thousand years, thousand years like a day. He sees it all because he's above and separate from time. That's why when you read about end-time prophecies, you can take it to the bank. You can take prophecy and, and know for certain these events will happen. So, so the one true God has never learned anything. He, he's never surprised. He's, he's independent of human actions and sees all events of all time equally vividly. Now that is an awesome God, a God that we can rest under the shadow of his wings, can't we? We can say, oh, not in myself, but in God. Verse 5 and 6 talks about Jesus' extraordinary timing. He's never late. Unfortunately, you ever feel this way? He's never early either. <laughs> when we're suffering, he's never early. However, he's never early in changing the course when things are going well for us. So look on the bright side, all right? Verse 5, now Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus. So, now think about that word so. Or because he loved them. As a result of his love for him, and then something weird is going to happen here. Say, hey, because Jesus loved these three people, Lazarus, sick, because he loved them, here comes the weirdness, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He stayed, we're talking about timing here, he stayed two days longer because he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now, if you look over to John chapter 10, you will see that Jesus at this time was on the other side of the Jordan. That's 25 miles a day, a long day's journey, or two days from the east of Jordan. That would be the kingdom of Jordan today to Bethany. He's 25 miles away, and he decides to stay two days longer because of his love for these three people. Why? Why would he hang around? Wouldn't he just, hey, it, I tell you what, right now, if Joyce's phone rang and she said, Chris, uh, my daughter has had a car accident. I'm like, I'm out of here. <laughs> Sorry. Amen. Have a good rest of New Year's. Jesus hangs around because of his love. What Jesus is doing in his timing is he's going to allow Lazarus to die. It's one thing to heal someone when they're ill, and Jesus did a lot of that. This is the big one. This is the big miracle where he's going to raise him from the dead as kind of a prefiguring of himself being raised from the dead and just not many days later. 
In fact, there was a Jewish myth, you can take this for what it's worth, that the spirit of a person who dies hovers above and near the body until the third day. So by waiting, and when he gets to Bethany, Lazarus has been dead four days. Now, I know Jesus didn't believe in that myth. The scripture says to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. There's not this, I'm not really a big fan of the dark tunnel. You just, if you know Jesus, when you die, you breathe your last, you're in the presence of, of the Lord. But I wonder, you know, as I, as I studied this, I wondered, is he saying, you know, I am going to put down any theory that, oh, he didn't really do a miracle. The spirit was hovering there and, and, and Lazarus was resuscitated. In fact, the greatest, one of the greatest verses in the Bible I loved as a kid in the King James was, you know, he'd been dead four years and he's going to say, open up the tomb. And, and, and I think it was Mary or Martha, one of them said, you can't do that. It's been four days. And I loved this as a kid. I, I, I loved this. Every time it was preached on, it, she said, and he stinketh. I love that. He stinketh. You know, and, and so he's saying, I'm going to perform a miracle. Remember, go back to verse 4. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He loves him. He's going to do a greater miracle than just healing someone that's ill. He's going to raise him from the dead. You see, when we see Jesus' extraordinary timing, it reminds us to exchange our limited reasoning for trust in Jesus' limitless wisdom. We humans actually think that we know more than we actually do, don't we? You know, think about the experts. Oh, you know, they're predicting this and that. And our knowledge is actually just minutely limited. It is so limited. Think of the scope of the future and all the, the possibilities and options that occur. We as human beings, we, we're just little dust on this planet, and, and, and we really don't know much about the future. We interpret things wrongly. We tell ourselves and interpret events that are happening to us often very wrongly. And by the way, human nature is we tell ourselves the worst about a situation. It's just part of the fallenness of humanity. So we don't really know that much. That's why we need Jesus. I was reading a Facebook post uh, a while back. It was a, a, a sheriff's department post down in Washington County. That's sort of uh, what west of Portland. And it was a crime report. And uh, this lady came home from doing grocery shopping, and when she, she came into the house, she heard a burglar in her bathroom. And she could see kind of under the door, she was rustling in there, and she could see shadows under the door, and she was quite frightened. She called the sheriff's department. They came. They, they, they called the burglar to come out. He wouldn't come out. So then they contacted a canine unit. They came. They were all set, guns drawn, swung up the door. Come out with your hands up. And they looked down. What did they see? One of those little automated vacuum cleaners, those little Roombas, you know. Now, I don't know who does their social media down there, but I thought they had a good sense of humor. They explained it was a Roomba, and, and then it said, uh, uh, the Roomba was not arrested. However, it was sentenced to years of domestic servitude. I thought, that, okay, that, that was awesome. You know, we think we know it. But we are in desperate need of the all-knowing one, Jesus, our great God and Savior. We need to rest in the one that knows all. 
You see, if you are in Christ today through faith in him and his work on the cross on your behalf, let me give you four key words that you, you can hold on to, you can cling to. Love, wisdom, power, and timing. Love, wisdom, power, and timing. Let me flesh those out. Number one, God has perfect love for you, therefore, he wants what's best for you. Number two, God has perfect wisdom, therefore, he knows what's best for you. Number three, God has perfect power, therefore, he can do what's best for you. And number four, God has perfect timing, therefore, he will do what's best for you at the best time. What rest, what unshakable confidence in an unshakable Christ. Very quickly here, verses 11 through 15, extraordinary purpose of Jesus. Jesus said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awake him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. You know, good sleep is, is, is good. You get feeling better. Verse 13, now Jesus is had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Now, if Jesus would have ended there, that's a pretty weak purpose. It's, it's random. It's aimless. Lazarus has died, and I dawdled around in the east of Jordan. Oh, man. But it doesn't end there. Verse 15. And... Here comes the purpose, extraordinary purpose. For your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Believe what? Go back to verse four. The son of God may be glorified through it. The timing, the timing of Jesus misunderstood, hanging around east of Jordan, but right on time. Jesus uses everything for his good purpose. So we can, we can view our struggles as opportunities for new heights of faith in him. Seeing his purposes, and we engage in those purposes because we're a child of his, we're, we're, a, we're a, a, a joint heir with Jesus, a child of the Father, and so therefore we can have those extraordinary purposes in our life. Even the suffering of our lives. I know that's hard to take. It's so hard. Remember I asked my mom once, I said, now that, you know, my mom, they've gone to be with the Lord, but my mom and dad, but I asked my mom, because she's got kids, grandkids, great grandkids, and uh, I asked her, I said, you know, now that the kids are all growing, you must not have a care in the world. And she just started laughing. Chris, you don't understand. Now I got kids. I got grandkids. I got great grandkids. You know, it, it, it's listen. If you're young, it's not going to get better. It's it's not going to get better. There's more people that, that suffering can affect. I read an article on trials by a, a great author. Um, he's a theologian, Rick James. He, he's also a super big superhero fan. And he wrote this: something about Superman has always irritated me. For whatever reason, the idea of a superhero flying around in a cape and tights does not, present an, does not present an intellectual stumbling block for me. 
I do, however, find it hard to believe that nobody recognizes Clark Kent as Superman merely because he's, reading, he's wearing reading glasses. Then he goes on to say, the problem is that trials are much like Clark Kent. For some reason, we seem unable to identify when we are in one and as a result, run from the trial rather than embrace them and the growth they bring. Pull those reading glasses off that trial and look them in the face. Say, this is Jesus' purpose, extraordinary purpose. Now, our culture, as I mentioned, is shaking. But let's not, please, I beg of you, do not try to find security in some kind of addiction or in a relationship or in a social media self-helps guru or a politician. Security can only be found in the unshakable Christ. And if you are saved through faith in Christ, he is in you and you are in him and it is and always will be well with your soul. Father God, as we close out this last worship time together for 2023, we look into this new year. We don't know at all what it's going to contain. But we do know by faith, we want you please to grow our faith. We do know who's in control. Father, remind us whenever that circumstance or that person that just really irritates us and we begin to feel the grinding and the churning in our stomach, remind us to step back and say, I'm believing the truth of God's word that Jesus is in control. Jesus has allowed this circumstance to come across my path or this problem person to, to chisel me away in all the rough spots to, to make me more conform to the image of his son, to Jesus himself. Lord, that we wouldn't just go to the, really the default mode of human beings, Father, as, as we've talked about here, is, is to move to the downside. Oh, this is terrible. I, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to cope. The end is near. I won't be able to make it through this. Remind us, Lord, that this is, this is human nature, not your nature. Your nature is, I've got an extraordinary purpose. I've got extraordinary timing, and, and I've got extraordinary poise. And that gift is gifted to us in Christ alone, because he dwells in us, as Laura had said, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Father, if we don't know Jesus today, what an opportunity to go into the new year as a child of yours through faith in Jesus, simply crying out to you, Jesus. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need help. I've, I've done some things wrong. And, and I need a savior. I need someone to take care of my sins. I believe you died in my place on the cross. And I, today, I believe you actually rose from the dead. That the grave is empty. And I place my faith in you. Now take over my life. If you prayed that prayer and it came from your heart, from your sincerity to know Jesus, you are part of God's family now. And tell someone, 
Maybe someone in this church family, someone you're sitting with, hey, I prayed that prayer to receive Christ. After service today, I understand there will be some the prayer leaders coming up to pray with you for, or anybody for any need, not just for salvation, but maybe you've got a loved one that is going through some struggles right now. You want prayer for them. They'll be up front. I'll be hanging around up front here too on the front row. And I'd love to have you come up for prayer. Father God, all glory and honor, all of it goes to you, your son Jesus, and your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We will see you next year, in a year from now, right? Ha ha. Have a great week.